Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into some more season interviews. Just a joyous occasion over here at the Mainstream Mavs uh, Podcast. We have a, a different fresh threshold that we are reaching today with some of these players. Today, we are going to be profiling the 2022-2023 season of Dwight Powell, Frank Nitlikina, and JaVale McGee. Um, a little more, uh, I guess, bougie than the last podcast where we showcased Davis Bertans, Markeith Morris, and um, Justin Holiday. And Justin Holiday. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, definitely still, I, I think, a little bit more of a uh, sort of loaded podcast here as we get into the Mavericks center rotation a little bit with Dwight and JaVale. Uh, two spots that I think a lot of Mavs fans were hoping would sort of be inversed in terms of the roles that Dwight and JaVale played on this team this year. Uh, but nonetheless, with the JaVale uh, signing last offseason, not really coming fully into fruition, uh, Dwight was asked to pay uh, play an extended role on this team uh, as he does basically time out and time again every year. And uh, it was a definitely, uh, I think, more of a subtle Dwight Powell year than maybe in the, the last few years prior. Um, and, and definitely a more of an albatross uh, JaVale McGee or contrary to what we saw in, you know, his, his Warriors and, and Suns days and Cavs days as of recent. Um, but, you know, they, they did still help the team uh, in certain areas, uh, despite a lot of their shortcomings that we harped on at nauseum throughout the season, you know, definitely some of the more frustrating players uh, in terms of Frank, he just didn't really play a whole lot. So, you know, I, it's going to be an interesting synopsis, maybe just kind of getting into uh, the sort of dynamics of his career and, and what he has at stake. I think that that's going to be more of the talking point than the actual on-court product. Uh, but in terms of JaVale and, and Dwight, there's definitely some, you know, sustainability questions there uh, in terms of if those guys are going to be back in Dallas. But uh, with that being said, you know, they, they are still um, in JaVale's scenario. He still has two more years left on his deal. Um, Dwight, it's still kind of all signs are pointing towards him possibly being back on a minimum deal. So we do have to, you know, really take into account what these guys could bring to the team next year, um, even if it um, takes an even steeper decline than last year. So uh, we'll be getting all into it in our sort of pessimistic roundabout. Uh, but before we start, Jaron, do you have anything in terms of these guys that we're getting out here today? Um, yeah, I mean, what only one is technically under contract so far or remaining because I, I do believe that Frank and Dwight are technically unrestricted free agents. So you're correct. Um, but I would not be surprised to see uh Dwight back in a Mavericks uniform. So I, I think it is important that we do tally, you know, what is important or what they can bring back to this team. Um, you know, for Frank, I think it's more of a case where he just didn't get enough minutes to really produce. Um, but you know, in Frank's you know, book, I know we're going to get more into him in detail, but I, I do think we saw more positive out of him than almost anyone on this who we're about to talk about. So I, I think in terms of Frank, he was probably one of the better, more positive players. Uh, he definitely had a weirder year, but um, yeah, I mean, that's, 
uh, I think that's probably going to take us, you know, through this podcast. Um, but yeah, you know, without further ado, uh, here is an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for podcasters. All right, Jaron. So getting into it here with the white pal, you don't mind just reading off his season counting stats. Um, what did you see from this guy in terms of his strengths and weaknesses uh, this year, comparable to his his prior season with the Mavericks? Yeah. So, I mean, real quick, I'll just count off the stats. In 19 minutes, he averaged just about seven points per game, uh, 73% field goal percentage, um, 66% from the line, four rebounds, almost an assist. And that's pretty much about it. And oh, a turnover a game, if that accounts for anything. How many minutes a game? Um, what was it? How many minutes per game did he play? 19. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think going into the season, we weren't really expecting much from Dwight. Uh, if anything at all, like, I think, you know, if we wrote down the roster, he'd probably be the third or fourth uh, big on the roster, at least in the depth chart. So I don't think, you know, we were really expecting much out of him, but clearly, you know, 2015 games into the season, he elevated into a role that we honestly didn't really expect him to have. Uh, and then very soon after that, he was starting and he pretty much started every single game after that. Um, I, I want to say he didn't play the first like three games of the season and then, you know, uh, pretty much played 76 games uh, through the rest of the season. So I, I think, you know, for his role, like, you know, his, his was much of a, you know, just substitute kind of role where, you know, basically he's going to be a, a spot starter. Uh, that's again, you know, that's what we saw last year and that's exactly what we saw this year. So I, you know, I wouldn't say much changed outside of, you know, any positives. I think that there was much, a lot more negatives that loomed uh, throughout this year, just as the season went along. You know, I, I think we saw the the regression that Dwight took, if you would say that, or just the sort of, you know, copy and paste attitude that he has uh, as like year, year per year uh, goes along. So, I, you know, I think that we didn't really see anything too positive out of him outside of being a guy that, you know, you can rely on uh, to be that sort of substitute guy or a guy that you come comes in, uh, given an injury or in this case, JaVale McGee, just not being the JaVale McGee that we thought he would be. Um, and he came in and, you know, to his credit, he did have some handful of good games. I think as the season went along, um, especially those last probably five to 10 games, I would say he definitely picked the ball up and actually, you know, offensively got some things going. But I would say from an offensive perspective, especially, I didn't really see much positive. I know he was in the like 99th percentile or 98th percentile. Uh, whenever it came to bigs uh, or like rolling bigs um, in the 21-22 season. But in the 22-23 season, I think he was still pretty high in that percentile. But, you know, nothing that I think we saw of the Dwight Powell of old. For fans that wouldn't necessarily be too keen to Dwight Powell being on the Mavericks next year and, you know, have definitely been in the sort of hater club per se, you know, you pointed towards a lot of things that he does well. But like, what is the case? for Dwight Powell to return to the Mavericks next year from that perspective, like, you know, money aside, what does he bring to the court positively that maybe the average NBA fan doesn't see? Yeah. I mean, like clearly like he's been a Maverick for um, almost a decade now. Like he, he knows this team inside and out. Uh, and so I think he's a good culture guy. He's a guy that uh, you know, the, of course he has uh, what he's done around the city like that, that bodes him positively on the court wise. Um, I do think, you know, given the right role, uh, being like that third or possibly fourth center off the bench, I, I think that he, you know, could be a really serviceable center. 
um, as we saw this like early in this season, I think, um, you know, whenever we saw him come off the bench, I think is probably his best sort of role or sort of, um, you know, place that we want to see him on this bench or on the, uh, on this team. Um, but I, I think, you know, as a starter, that's where you start to, to beg the question of, you know, is he really worth what he, what we're getting? Uh, and I, I would, you know, simply say no, but you know, if he does come back on the right price, the minimum, whatever, uh, I think you're just getting a good, not culture guy, because, you know, I, I think culture guy has become such a negative connotation with this team. Um, but I, I think that you are getting sort of, you know, a guy who's reliable. I, I think that's probably the best way to put it. He is one of the top rolling bigs. And yes, you know, his numbers did drop pretty extensively this year. But even still, you know, you can pair him up with Luka Doncic and you know exactly what you're going to get. I, I think if you can put pair him against the sort of backup centers in this league and not, you know, Joel Embiid or even Jokic for that matter, uh, like on the defensive side of things, I think that there's a lot more things that he can do to open up the floor. Um, but yeah, you do have trouble whenever you're running into the Clint Capellas or Joel Embiid's, the defensive centers um, who pretty much, you know, make him almost just irresputable, like one of the not one of the worst players on uh, on the floor, but he's just becomes basically a cog in the offense and he's just on the floor. So I think if you can find a way to plug and play him on the bench uh, in a role that's suitable for this team where, like I said, you know, he's playing, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game. I think that's probably the best case for him. And coming off the minimum, I would be open to that. No, 100%. I think that there's definitely a uh, sort of built-in role for him if he was to return on a fair dollar amount. Um, whether that is going to happen remains to be seen. Uh, there's obviously um, some sort of convolution in terms of, uh, you know, the validity of if he's going to come back or not. I, I don't really think that um, people have really delved too deep into it, but it's definitely intriguing as we move towards this offseason, seeing what they're going to do with that that open roster spot if they want to retain him for not obviously having been here since the Rondo trade. Um, you know, slowly climbing up the Mavericks all-time games played list in an ever um, sort of uh, just sort of uh, secret or almost like um, nonchalant fashion where nobody really even knows that he's got as high as he has already. And, you know, you do make a good point. I think we saw um, a little less of the defensive liability earlier in the season when he was tasked more, you know, and had to defer more to JaVale McGee or Christian Wood just in those first, you know, five or 10 games that ensued, you know, he was tasked a lot more to have to guard, you know, opposing fives off the bench versus starters. And I, I definitely think that that point was well made by you uh, in terms of how much more, um, you know, less of a liability he is on defense from that perspective. Um, but other than that, um, conversely, a lot of Mavs fans, um, you know, bear a lot of blame at Dwight Powell and, you know, we, we would probably say that and say it's not necessarily his fault, but maybe to an extent he is placed upon unfair positions at times just due to a lack of personnel. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we have enough of a sample size year to year uh, to know that he is a defensive liability in most instances at center. And, you know, he is not um, this sort of all-encompassing dynamic offensive threat at the five, which isn't necessarily – um, something that is a commonality between centers, I'd say, this day and age, but um, it definitely um, helps a big man stay on the floor, you know, i.e. A, a Christian Wood, you know, despite his shortcomings, he can do a lot more offensively than Dwight. So Dwight doesn't necessarily have that that sort of niche that he appeals to in, in terms of one particular skill set, uh, but, but he does everything, you know, pretty decent, and he's a good roller, 
And he obviously, um, you know, is you know probably one of the more just hustle minded, um, just, you know, pure energy gives all of his heart on every possession players on the team. Uh, what do you think of his weaknesses this past year? Uh, just, you know, given that and what exactly is it due to whether it be the position that he's putting in or is it is it just, you know, purely his his physical shortcomings? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a big thing or a big part of, you know, his sort of shortcomings, especially this year, has been his just his, you know, size and not athleticism, but just really his size like his he's so limited in what he can do. It almost makes him too one dimensional on offense, if that makes any sense, because there's really not much you can do um outside of the pick and roll if you're trying to include him uh you know he can set some nice off ball screens um just to get a shooter open or whatever it may be but in DHOs terms of, at the yeah DHOs like he's, he's good at that I do feel like uh you know at some points in the season he got kind of got lost on an island and those DHOs and you don't really want him running downhill uh because either that's gonna be a lost dribble or he's just gonna throw up some wonky shot so I, I think you know from that perspective like there, there is a little bit of flexibility that you can do with him, but just from a, a big perspective, like to get him involved, to get him scoring, there's really not much you can do outside of the pick and roll. Um, so I think he's just more of a one-dimensional kind of guy. And that's why, you know, again, to bring you back to past conversation, I, I think like bringing him off the bench would probably be the best case scenario. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he's just so one-dimensional, but uh, defensively, like that's, that's where the size comes in handy or it, that's where the size, I guess, in his case, you know, doesn't come in handy. Um, cause he's just constantly beat, uh, either by bigger sort of, uh, centers in the league, like that just using their body on him, or, you know, he's just too small to really do anything. Um, you know, his defensive shortcomings, you know, what he did so well in the 21, 22 campaign was he was able to be in the right place at the right time, uh, was sort of able to, to roll, um into the right places and be there and sort of a, a plug and play fashion on the defensive side of things but you know what we saw this year is pretty much the total opposite uh I think we saw him stuck one-on-one -on -one with a lot of guys uh he would end up getting in foul trouble either really extremely early uh if you're playing the Embiid's or the Jokic's of the world on offense um but yeah I mean I, I just think the shortcomings uh you know from a physical standpoint uh have definitely limited him uh, and, you know, I'm not going to say that this has been like his worst season or his worst, uh, you know, showcasing or whatever it may be. But I do think that this was probably the biggest year where, you know, you have to do question his sort of size and ability. Because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't know off the top of my head how old he is, uh, but he's getting up there in age. You know, uh, soon athleticism is going to start to dwindle down. I think that's probably uh, a bright spot of his, of his uh, sort of career is that athleticism has at least you know helped him out in sort of the size department but I, I do think that's probably where his biggest shortcomings are is in the physical standpoint um is that he you know he's a shorter center and there's really only a limited amount of things that he can do no yeah you bring up some some good points there and um particularly you know in regards to Dwight D Dwight's defense you know I would probably uh operate more under the mindset that it's kind of conducive um, just to, you know, the position that he's put in, in terms of his struggles. Um, I, I do think that there is something to affect, you know, that he does, you know, he doesn't have the longest wingspan. He's not the tallest guy ever. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a fairly uber athletic guy, you know, particularly for, for his age. Um, he, he's fast and he can jump high for his position. Um, maybe not all that athleticism uh, necessarily translates as, as fluidly as you would hope. Um, but he's definitely, 
a guy that, you know, in, in the right position uh, can, can sort of, um, you know, be optimized to an extent on defense. Now, you know, what is that scenario exactly? Is that, you know, the Mavericks running man? Is that the Mavericks running zone? I mean, you know, we saw him, you know, being connected on a string, as you alluded to, um, when the Mavericks were, you know, when he was an integral part to an extent, you know, maybe not necessarily in the playoff run, but towards the latter half of the regular season, uh, when the Mavericks were on that sort of win streak there in the 2021-22 season, uh, and, you know, the Mavericks definitely, um, they, there would be incremental periods where they would mix in zone, and Dwight, um, you know, he does a really good job uh, rotating as the low man, you know, and being able to uh, recover and, you know, sort of intercept passes in the dunker spot. He's always been, you know, underrated in terms of being able to uh, veer off of a seal. Um, he tries to get, you know, I, I see continuously a lot of centers uh, think that they'll just basically have him pinned and he's able to, uh, you know, work around them and sort of pull the chair on him right as that uh, post-entry pass is coming in. And, uh, you know, things like that are, are definitely an underrated aspect of his defensive game. But, um, you know, in, in, a, in a scheme where the Mavericks maybe didn't play as much zone this year, uh, you could definitely argue that some of their wing defense was burnt out contrary to last year. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith leaves for Brooklyn, uh, and the team was just not as interconnected from a communication standpoint on defense. Uh, Dwight suffered very heavily um, with that sort of agenda in mind. And, uh, you know, when the Mavericks – uh, you know, having to play more man, him having to just kind of play straight up on some guys, uh, that obviously hurt. Uh, but, you know, barring just from the the, the sort of change from uh, playing less zone, which was, you know, maybe marginal at best, uh, the Mavericks just as a team were funneling a lot more guys to their big men. And, you know, Dwight was tasked to be a, a tried and true rim protector at times, which um, he simply just does not have the verticality if, if you combined his, his wingspan with his um, – his size and, and, and just the positioning uh, to re to really be able to withstand for uh, prolonged periods in the game. And that's why, you know, we saw him uh, subsequently have to exit games at times. Um, but, you know, just obviously that, and then, you know, when the Mavericks who well, I would say were not switch heavy, but they, they switched a decently, like probably a moderate amount of times uh, comparatively to, to most NBA teams, um, you know, Dwight obviously was, was tasked, with having to get on smaller guys a lot too, you know, as he has in, in years previous. And, you know, you can maybe argue he got, he got beat to the basket a little more than he usually does uh, from that perspective. Um, just a little, you know, less quick to, to flip his hips. Maybe the athleticism waned just a tad this year. You know, it wasn't anything that was increasingly noticeable, but I, I would definitely say as a fan that watches uh, basically almost every game that, you know, he, there were maybe a few lobs that, uh, we're there with him and Luca that, you know, you saw Luca defer and maybe pass back out because he didn't have as much confidence in Dwight being able to, to finish a play that he may have been able to do pre ACL uh, or pre Achilles for that matter. Or, um, you know, there were, there were some plays that he was missing dunks at, at points earlier in the season quite a bit. Um, so, you know, those, those are all sort of limitations upon his game, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you have this guy who's, you know, extremely energetic and always ready to do whatever the team needs and, and hustle really hard. So, you know, it, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy when you're looking at um, just the, uh, you know, aspects of his game, of course. Um, but uh, I would definitely just agree in general that he was probably a little bit more, he's probably marginally more ineffective than he was uh, maybe the last two years, but 
you know, a lot of it can be attributed to the position that he's being put in, having to play against these starting centers night in and night out, um, as well as, you know, maybe a little bit of athleticism weighing with age. So, you know, I, I think that those are all factors in terms of why this guy sort of is where he is at the moment. But uh, nonetheless, I, I don't think that he's burnt out or that he doesn't have a role in the NBA anymore. Like there, I don't think there's really any credence to that. He can still definitely be a, you know, a good mentor for uh, younger centers on a roster or, you know, just a great, you know, team contributor and be a guy that, you know, when you need um, just some rim pressure um, to be, you know, thrusted upon um, in a given game. And, you know, you're, you're just feeling like, you know, you, you don't have enough, I wouldn't say size, but you just don't have enough actions going towards the rim. And, you know, you feel like the three-point shot's not falling to an extent. If the Mavericks were able to mend their center situation next year, um, I I would be remiss to say that um, I don't think Dwight Powell could still come in and provide a valuable, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes on a given night, just, you know, depending on the matchup. So that that's my uh, brief or not too brief sort of synopsis on his um, – just past regular season in terms of his strengths and weaknesses, uh, I would definitely tend to agree with you on most of the stuff that you said there. Um, you know, we, we, I think we kind of touched up on all this so we can kind of uh, tread through this fairly fast here, but uh, just briefly, what do you think his biggest improvement was? Cause just cause we're doing this for all of our uh, season review podcast. What do you think Dwight's biggest improvement was uh, from the 2021 to 22 year? Uh, I think, I mean, this is kind of hard looking at it from an X X's and O's point of view um outside of more of an effort view like I I mean the the thing that comes to mind for me is just effort um you know he's always been an effort motor guy um but yeah I, I think you know effort is probably the biggest thing that comes to me I think that there was multiple possessions um you know on the offensive glass that were especially as a season later kind of went along um you know he became a better offensive rebounder and it wasn't more so that he you know offensive rebounder it's just he became a better uh, sort of, you know, keeping the ball alive guy. Uh, and I think that's all in conducive to effort. Um, you know, it consistently would go up, you know, on balls that were 50, 50 balls and, you know, tip it out to either Luca or Kyrie and it would create a second chance. Uh, I, I think that's probably the biggest, you know, my improvement. Cause I, you know, I think from an X's nose point of view, again, I think it's kind of hard to look at uh, for Dwight Powell, but I think, you know, from a motor perspective, from an energy perspective, I think that's probably the biggest, improvement that I think I've seen is just his energy keeping the balls alive um you know he's not been the best rebounder throughout his career so I think getting him available and you know I think he averaged four rebounds I think is what I said um I, I think that's a good stat for him yeah no I think he did a little bit better uh from a rebounding and effort perspective as well and did he actually do better or was that just amplified by you know, the stark contrast and effort team-wide from the 2022 Mavericks to the 2023 Mavericks, you know, th- there could definitely be an argument that's that's made there because, you know, Dwight's effort may have been uh, sort of thrust upon a dimmer light when everybody on the team was giving uh, a lot more effort in that 2021-2022 season. But, you know, I-, I definitely, you know, he was always up cheering for the team regardless of if, you know, it was JaVale or Christian Wood, you know, playing in his spot ahead of him. Uh, he's an uber energetic guy, and I do feel as if that he, you know, had instances this year where he was trying to invigorate uh, a sort of fire into this team, you know, in out-of-timeout scenarios or out of the half when, you know, some of those offensive rebounds, it, it didn't always really come into fruition in the long run, but, you know, maybe he did view himself a little bit more as a sort of spark plug guy that, you know, needed to bring that 
energy to the team. So, you know, if, if I had to pinpoint anything, I guess margin, you know, the sort of marginal um, increase in effort um, is, is definitely something I could maybe attribute it to. Um, what do you think would be the best thing um, for Dwight? You know, if, if he's coming back with the Mavericks next year, what is the biggest thing that he needs to improve upon? And, you know, as a prerequisite with this, um, you know, just given that we have this sort of um, stark contrast between younger and older players, you know, we're going to be realistic with the older players. If you go back and listen to our pod with Davis Bertans, Justin Holiday, and Markeith Morris, uh, we weren't saying that, you know, they could improve upon things in their game that they just like necessarily couldn't. Like we didn't think Davis was going to become a, you know, gaudy defender all of a sudden, but uh, you know, conversely um, we do, there are, you know, certain marginal things that even guys that, you know, their age can still improve upon. So we wanted to make sure that the inclusion of, of this part of the whole season review thing was in there, even for younger and older players alike. So Jaron, if you had to pinpoint one thing that Dwight Powell, uh, could get better at to be better in the 2023-2024 season, uh, what, what would it be? For me, I think it would be switchability. Uh, I think one of his biggest flaws uh, as the 2022-2023 season kind of kicked along was this, you know, just how unswitchable he was. He became uh, almost like a saloon door uh, when switched on smaller defenders. So I think if he could work on his hips, um, work on his sort of front-to-front defense, man-on-man defense, uh, if you will, like, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing he could improve upon to see the floor a little bit more. I, I just don't see a role on this team where, you know, he's going to be the number one center again. So I think if you could improve upon um, just sort of like every switchability. Year, we say that every year. We do. We do say this every year. And <laughs> happens time and time again. But hopefully this is the year where he's not our number one center. Um, but I think if he could become more of a weak side sort of switchable guy, uh, that would really improve upon his defense. Um, and you know, I mean, he is an older guy, you know, you just said your disclaimer. So I, you know, if that's possible because of that, because of his waning age, I'm not, you know, hundred percent not sure, but I think, you know, if he can improve upon his hip movement, his hip mobility, uh, that would probably be hit, the most beneficial, uh, especially on the defensive side of things for his career. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think we saw flashes of it at the beginning of the season. Like, you know, he's still not the rim protector that we will really ever um you know uh tend to you know view him as like that that's never really going to be something that comes into fruition but I think earlier in the season we did see you know an increased mobility of sorts from him uh when he got switched on to the perimeter and and I think that that uh you know just the the gruesome nature of the NBA season uh kind of caught up to him and we we saw him get blown by more as the season kind of went along you know, in a more limited role where he's against some of these, you know, uh, centers off the bench and, uh, you know, forwards and guards off or forwards and guards off the bench. I, I do think that he could um, probably play a little bit, you know, just better perimeter defense, you know, when he does get involved in those pick and roll scenarios. You know, there's a lot of times that he was in the pick and roll and that, you know, just because of the lack of size there, the Mavericks would try to run sort of wonky stuff with him at the point of attack where they'd have him hedge and recover. And, you know, by that time, his man was already like one foot deep in the basket. So a lot of that is uh, also sort of schematic too, you know, uh, just once he's playing against, you know, smaller centers, he may not have to have such aggressive upfront coverage to where, um, you know, if you have a guy that's able to make that pass over the top of him, he's basically toast and that's an easy basket. Uh, you know, you can have Dwight, um, you know, stay in position, you know, down the dunker spot 
a little bit more, um, you know, drop him against more slower footed centers so long as they're not like towering over him. Because, you know, we do see a lot of smaller centers typically coming up, coming off the bench. So, you know, there's some different things that they can do do there. So, you know, I, I think that that's a good one. I would go with uh, with rebounding. You know, I think that he just he is a stronger guy and, you know, he's tall, obviously. I mean, he's 6'10", just even though he doesn't have the most insane wingspan. But, you know, I, I think he could just use his body a little bit more and his strength as his career progresses because he is a stronger guy and he has a good lower body and upper body base. Uh, to be able to get a few more boards because he has the archetype to be able to do that. You know, defensively, you know, while he is fast, he doesn't have the longest arms. We can cut him some slack there. Um, he obviously has just never had the most diverse array of, you know, of an offensive portfolio. But rebounding, I mean, he has the tools to do it. He just, um, you know, is a, is a pretty decent offensive rebounder, but then for whatever reason, not the best defensive rebounder. So I think that that's an area that he could improve upon and. I think it's more so just technique based for him, you know, boxing out and understanding angles um, in terms of where the ball is going to come off uh, versus anything to do with effort. Cause you know, he still dives for every loose ball and everything like that. So that would be mine. Jaron, what do you give uh, Dwight or what do you think Dwight Powell's um, sustainability rating is as a Maverick out of 10 uh, going forward here? As a Maverick, I, I'm, I don't know what our highest is. I, I think it's like a seven. I think Jane Hardy got like a seven. So I'm going to put Dwight, probably at like a six. Cause you know, I, I do think that there is a possibility he's probably on a different team this off season, but I do think that there's a higher possibility that he's in a Mavericks uniform. And if all goes right, he will finally not be the Mavericks number one center. Uh, he will actually be on the bench, which is what we have been pining for, for like four or five years now. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think if, you know, we can bring him back on a minimum or a shorter, you know, longer deal, longer deal contract, I would be open to that. And I do think that's probably more of a possibility uh, this off season than anything else. So I, I would put it at a six. I think it's probably, you know, it leaves room for him being somewhere else, but also it's like enough of a percentage to probably that he's going to stay in Dallas. No. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely agree with you like straight up six and uh, yeah. you, you uh, <laughs> hit the nail on the head in terms of your argument there. Um, in terms of the interesting stat that we're doing for every player, I know I kind of, incidentally uh, reverse the order there with the sustainability rating coming for us, but uh, first, but nonetheless, uh, I did the interesting stat for Dwight Powell in this one. And um, as the, you know, his, his sort of cliche stat that Mavericks fans um, are very keen to time in and time out, you know, year in and year out, they, they sort of uh, cling to this Dwight Powell stat. And um, you know, it, it's his points per possession as the role, man, how, how good is Dwight Powell? as the role man, you know, what, what percentile is he in, in this nature? And in, as the role man uh, with 1.6 possessions, typically as the role man per game, a, uh, a frequency of 28.9%, meaning that Dwight Powell, when he's in the game, um, you know, he gets a pick, he's the role man, 28.9% uh, of the time. Um, he was in the 93rd point eight percentile of all, um, role man in the pick and roll game you know jaron obviously alluded to that uh earlier in the podcast i think i, among, I messed up i think i said 80th percentile oh uh, no you're fine among players that have at least one possession as the role man um in the game dwight powell according to synergy and nba.com ranked let's see he would have ranked fourth in the nba um in terms of players that have 
uh, one possession as the role man in the uh, or higher in the game. And you know, just a couple, the guys that are even above him are, are going to be James Wiseman, um, DeAndre Jordan, and uh, is that it? No, I think he's actually third. That was my mistake. He's actually third. So coming really up just James Wiseman and DeAndre Jordan. And these are guys who, you know, don't really even play near as much as him. And, you know, Wiseman, I was obviously kind of plagued uh, with injuries all year and transferring from the Warriors to the Pistons. So that's kind of an albatross in itself. So, I mean, he still kind of uh, holds the title of best roller in the NBA. Um, but, you know, I think Mavs fans will also ask how much of that is due to Luka Doncic, which – it's obviously, you know, I think more of a attributed to Luca and how uber talented he is uh, and his ability to set up Dwight. But, you know, even before Luca, Dwight was still no, no shill in terms of his ability to roll to the basket. So, you know, I know that that's the, uh, the stat that's sort of, uh, you know, ran year in and year out for him, uh, kind of just in, uh, in Mavs land. But, you know, we still want to shine a light upon the positive things he do because I think people have a tendency to just label him as this, uh, you know they get frustrated with the role that he's playing even though it's not necessarily his fault and they take it you know strictly all out on him which you know over at the mainstream mouse podcast we don't discriminate we we want to make sure that you guys get the full story and and we thought that that narrative wasn't fair so um for all those in the the white pal fan club you can you can't say that we didn't do anything for you so there you go um darren our one thing that we did this season for Dwight yeah so it was our it's our one thing that we did this season do we want to get into the whole situation with Dwight Powell and in the minutes that he played this year over Christian Wood, or would you like to reserve that for, for the Christian Wood podcast in itself? Cause that would, that would be a whole podcast and just getting into the situation of why Dwight Powell ended up playing more. I, I say we reserve this for the Christian Wood podcast, because I, I do think that we have the plan of uh, Christian Wood being a whole separate uh, player profile in itself. I, I think we're just going to stick Christian Wood by himself on one profile or on one podcast. So I, I think that we could probably just knock it down to that. But I mean, I, I think it's more of a Christian Wood and m- more of a Christian Wood problem in my eyes. I think that's, you know, yes. whenever you talk Dwight about that, Powell just being about Christian Wood. The, the savvy veteran just in there to do his job, he yeah, could care less about how many he, minutes. He's not at blame. Him. He's not at blame. Dwight's yeah. not at blame. So, no, exactly. Uh, I love Dwight Powell. That's all I got to say. We we, uh, we love Dwight Powell in the mainstream. Yes. Podcast, so. <laughs> um, nonetheless, Sharon, would you like to segue us into uh, the season interview for Mr. Frank Nitlahina, uh, the, the French p- Prince of Bel-Air per se? Yeah, let, let's, let's get into the French Prince. Uh, so in 47 games played, he played 13 minutes per game, averaged a stilling, a billing three points per game um 36 percent from the field uh 25 percent from the three-point line 66 percent from the free throw line uh averaged a rebound and assist will you know these abysmal for field goal percentage and three-point percentage what do you take to that um because I, I think that's i didn't know that it was that bad so uh i didn't either Karen. i didn't either <laughs> oh, that is that is pretty bad you know albeit uh, Frank had a, a somewhat limited role this season that was a little more even inconsistent maybe than last year's, uh, you know, due to the ascension of Jaden Hardy, you know, more so late in the season. Um, and then, you know, just the whole Mavericks weird log jam at guard and then non log jam. I mean, it was just a weird sort of situation for him all year and he had inconsistent min- minutes. I think that there was times that the fan base was actually pining for him to get a little bit more run when he actually 
has some of those late season performances where he showed out a little bit. And then I think early on in the season, you know, he was looked at as a uh, guy who should be going to play in the CBA, um, the Chinese Basketball Association. So I think that um, fans definitely had uh, deferring interest uh, throughout certain points of the year in terms of how good Frank was and how much he could, you know, readily contribute to the, to the team. I, I do think that there was some sort of recency bias going into the season, uh, just kind of um, due to the fact of how he played in that Phoenix series, uh, being able to uh, sort of tit for tat guard Devin Booker, um, you know, be an excellent screen navigator throughout that, uh, that series. Um, he, he was part of the reason that the Mavericks, you know, defense, uh, was able to bolster it up itself felt so well and the Mavericks were able to get to the Western Conference Finals so I, I do think that there was something to that effect that you know you wanted some more defense out there but the team was you know at such a pure lack of ball handling that Frank you know himself was probably uh, going to have to be tasked to do something some of that and uh, we, we talked about that early on um, in some of our offseason podcasts you know who would rise up between Frank and Josh Green and uh, that, that obviously kind of seems like silly, uh, you know, looking back at that now. But, I mean, to, to, to Frank's credit, he, you know, really did um, come in and uh, at least uh, put his best foot forward. And, um, you know, he, he definitely felt like the effort was there. Uh, I, I just think we saw early on that his, uh, his role as a primary or not necessarily even a primary ball handler, but even like a tertiary ball handler uh, was negligible at best just because of, you know, his inability to create space and uh, create a shot for himself in any capacity and make the defense respect him to where uh, he could operate within the pick and roll. Um, his, but, you know, as the season got on, we saw him do a few of those things at the end of the year, uh, despite the abysmal uh, field goal percentages that you alluded to. So it, it was a weird season from him. And there was this weird sort of glimpse of hope at the end, but, you know, he's been in the NBA since he was 18, you know, he's a six year veteran at this point, which sounds kind of crazy to say, but um, at the same time, he's only 24. Uh, so you're looking at a younger guy here who could still maybe bear some development. Uh, but the question is, is that development going to be in the NBA or in the CBA? So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be in the CBA. I think he is definitely in the, <laughs> the G league or the Euro or the Euro league before he bears that sort of, um, you know, he he's relegated to that point, but I do think that there, there are, it's just a weird sort of, he, he's a very, uh, you know, juxtaposed player because we see these times where, you know, he looks like he could be this sort of tertiary ball handler um, and a guy who's able to defend one through two really well and be a great point of attack defender. Um, and then there's times that, you know, those small glimpses of hope just uh, simply cannot make up uh, for the the absolute just non-contribution that he uh, he kind of puts forward on the offensive end. So uh, in, in conclusion, I know there's a long spill for, for Frank the Tank, but, you know, there were some expectations for him coming into the season, hence why he's in this podcast, not the last one. And they didn't, I, I would say that, you know, they definitively were not met, uh, but he did have some weird glimpses towards the end of the season that that might just make him uh, might just be enough for Jason Kidd to say F it and throw him back on a, you know, give him a training camp invite and, you know, see where it leads. So, you know, he could be back on the team. He could not. 
that's something that we'll have to kind of microanalyze as we get into the sort of uh, dog days of the offseason. There's nothing to talk about. I could definitely see, you know, I, I, I've i seen enough to where I think he can maybe, he still, you know, probably has at least one more year of, you know, or at least a few games of a year uh, to be, you know, to exemplify his uh, his sort of skill set on the NBA roster. But, um, you know, there, there is a, cer- a certain shelf life there uh, associated with that if he's not able to do that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what his role is like going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, from a uh, from a 10th or 11th man spot on the roster, uh, you know, there was a lot of headlines surrounding him. Uh, was he taking minutes from Jaden Hardy? You know, is he really worthy of an NBA spot? Like, I, I think that there was a lot of questions surrounding his sort of role on this team. Um, you know, there there was some weird glimpses throughout the season where I think he was, you know, either becoming a decent facilitator, a tertiary ball handler, um, you know, someone you could somewhat rely upon on, you know, depending on the game or matchup. Uh, and then there was, especially late in the season, he came on as a sort of corner shooter. Um, you know, he actually started knocking down more three-point shots um, at a high volume or not, not really how high volume I should say, but you know, a good, a good, yeah, a good volume uh, for his book. Um, so I, I think, yeah, there was just a lot of weird sort of headlines that surrounded his game um and you know surrounded really his season for that matter so you know I I do think that there's a lot of things that he can improve upon because they're at the end of the day he is 24 I think there's still a lot more room for development you know athletically he's just you know tapping into his quote-unquote prime self um so I think if you're going to see the best version of him it'll have to be soon uh and that's saying a lot due to you know the fact that he could possibly not be on an NBA roster come this time next year um but you know, even yeah, I, so, I, no, yeah. I mean, I hate to interrupt you, but I was just gonna say, um, you brought up some really good stuff, and and I mean, I, with this player, I I really think that he is the type of guy that we could be, you know, mm-hmm. seeing taking a really sizable jump into, you know, his role in the league, uh, whether that's on the Mavericks or with somebody else. He's a guy who could be one of those just late bloomers, maybe you know, i.e., like a Danny Green who kind of came along in his mid twenties, you know, I know it's a different career path. He was in the G league for a while, but I, I mean, Frank's one of those guys who maybe, maybe he just didn't, you know, stay in France long enough. I, I don't know if that's like harsh to say, but um, you know, that could have been the instance and, you know, he just needed a little bit more time to develop some of those skill sets. Um, I have a, a really weird sort of a prediction um, for Frank um, because I, I, I just see his career path going one of two ways. I, I don't know if this is some sort of, um, you know, just inherent sort of bias that I've built upon myself, but uh, I kind of see just out of nowhere in the next year or two, him evolving into um, a sort of D'Anthony De- Melton-esque guy. Uh, oh, maybe. but that's after he's a Maverick. Yeah, yeah I mean, it'll probably be knowing our luck, yes, but um, I mean – if the development and everything were to go right, I mean, I think that, you know, he doesn't have that star potential that he used to. That's, that's definitely overcast, but I still think he has the just physical tools to be a really good role player, just given his length and his, um, his lateral quickness. But, you know, things go haywire. He could be out of the league. Like, I don't know, for some reason, I, I just view this as two extremities on, on each side of the totem pole with Frank. He He's just one of those type of players that doesn't strike me as a guy that's, going to just stay in this sort of reserve 10 to 15 role for the rest of his career. It's going to either be out of the league or, um, you know, really at 
he really blossoms into an integral role player for a, a good team. So it that's going to be an interesting dynamic to, to see going forward. On the, but there's really no way of actually predicting, you know, what exactly is going to happen in terms of that Frank scenario. So that, that's all just kind of based on my own sort of suspicion. So we'll just have to see what happens with that uh, in regards to his role. But I have uh, I have some outlandish uh, sideways sort of optimism that things go the right way. But um, that that probably if we're if we're you know, categorizing it, that's probably about 10, 10% of my energy towards Frank Nillikin and the other 90% is probably uh, just overt pessimism and uh, thinking that he, he is probably not an NBA player, but, you know, he at least shows flashes. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. But he, he did have a fairly interesting season last year. Jaron, what do you think Frank um, improved upon the most from his 2021-22 campaign with the Mavericks to uh, contrary to this uh, last season with the Mavericks see now th- that's hard to answer that's a hard question to answer just because the volume at which we p- saw him play in the we just didn't really see enough of it um I would say you know from a ball handling perspective I think we saw probably the biggest improvements we didn't really see him do too much uh from a ball handling perspective in the 21-22 campaign so I can't really say um you know that we saw too much from that um, you know, again, it was very, very spotty uh, this year, but I, I do think that, you know, there was glimpses, there was stints um, of multiple games on in that, you know, you could see the progression being made, especially as the season went along, you saw it more common um, and that shooting, you know, occur more common, or at least is like sort of hot streaks, quote unquote, um, more common. So I, I think, you know, from that perspective, I would probably say it was his ball handling. And that's saying a lot because again, you know, that's, something that is, you know, very uncommon for him. Uh, but, you know, still, I, I do think that he's improved upon in that. And, you know, his facilitating, I, I do think was probably about average this year. I don't think we saw anything too special. Uh, he was sort of, you know, basically another ball ball mover, uh, similar to what Spencer did, what he was, you know, in his time in Dallas, at least this season. Um, so, you know, I think for the biggest improvement that I saw would probably be ball handling. I, I just think that you know, there wasn't anything from an offensive perspective that he, you know, would open up or create. But I do think at times, you know, uh, really, you know, Memphis game kind of sticks out to me, maybe a few others where he was able to, you know, kind of be someone that you had to look out for, um, someone that you actually had to, you know, defend or at least keep an open eye on. So I think from that perspective, I would say ball handling. Yeah. Um, in the same vein with that, I mean, I would just say like dribble penetration and the the ability to get the ball to the dunker spot. You know, there were, there were some times where he attacked off closeouts and he was able to, uh, you know, convert some easy lobs to some guys and pop a few floaters that went in. He had a few more tough finishes from this year. So I think that whole just ball, ball handling and uh, just, uh, just finishing prerogative in itself is probably what I would um, say was his, his biggest improvement um, for sure. What do you think he has to do to, to really open up his game? Um, as a Dallas Maverick and like what do you see um, and like what what is his role as an NBA player if he's to ever um, you know improve marginally upon multiple areas of his game uh, to the point where you know it actually adds up to him being a you know a decent role player in this league what does that look like if, if you even if you want to like give a one-for-one comparison or anything what does that look like and what does he have to improve upon yeah, I'm, I'm not really, you know, too sure if there's a one-for-one one improvement. I think, you know, if he could become a sort of 3-and-D ball facilitator, I think that would probably be in his best interest. Or, 
you know, someone along the lines of that, because, you know, we were teeter tottering around the line of, you know, is this guy a facilitator? Uh, because, you know, again, at the end of the day, he was asked at, in the beginning of the season to be, you know, one of those tertiary ball handlers. So, you know, we were sort of questioning, you know, is this guy a tertiary ball handler or is this guy sort of, you know, a wing? Like what what does he bring to this team? What is he? Um, so I think if he could find a more defined role um, and that being, you know, sort of someone who can facilitate and also, you know, knock down the corner threes whenever the guys like Kyrie or Luca are on the floor. Um, I think if he becomes someone like that, I don't really think there's much to question defensively. I think the defense, you know, has a good baseline there. I do think, you know, at certain points we saw a drop off. Um, but for me, I think it's finding a fine line of, you know, wh who he is, uh, what kind of role he wants to bring. Because, you know, again, there was sort of two dynamics, two players um, on the floor that we saw from Frank Nilakina, you know, whether it was the wing or facilitating. So I think if he could find a fine line of that, improve upon, you know, what he thinks, you know, or what he wants his role to be. Um, I think that'd probably be in his best interest. And like I said, I think, you know, for him to move on and become, you know, a better or at least a more sustainable NBA player, I think it's, you know, improving upon his uh, ball handling and, you know, of course, adding some shot making to that as well. No, hundred percent. I would definitely agree with you in terms of the certain things that he has to improve from that perspective. What do you think his, um, you know, sustainability is as a maverick going forward if you had to grade it on a scale from one to ten um we'll go with a nice three out of ten uh I, I do i do see a world where you know he could possibly be on the mavericks through the summer um you know and maybe we sign him to uh you know a minimum contract i, I do think he qualifies for a vet minimum uh you know i i do think there is a world where that exists and i, I but you know going forward you know, can he last a full 82 games on a roster? That's where, you know, I start to bear the question. And that's why I would list them as a three is because I simply right now where he is in his game, I just don't think that, or where he is at his career, I, I don't think that he's a guy that can last a full uh, a full season on a team, uh, on an NBA roster for that matter, um, no matter where the spot is. So I think, you know, for him to be a maverick, he needs to, again, you know, find a, a defined role and, um you know, really know his identity, know what he wants to become in a ball, uh, a basketball player. So, you know, I, I'm leaning more on the pessimistic side. I think if you want to take Will's 10% uh, of the D'Anthony Melton route, you know, you have to bump those numbers up, but I'm going to go with a three out of 10. Yeah, no, I think that that's pretty realistic um, just because I'm the, um, the brigade leader of the, the tank and, you know, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with Frank the tank. I'm going to have to up it to a four out of 10 just because okay. I'm writing it out for Frank the Tank and his ability to to lead the brigade as he did at the uh, end of the season there as the Mavericks were tanking. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I, I do think that, you know, he could easily be brought back on a on a smaller deal, um, even if it's just a last ditch kind of thing, you know, filling out the back half of your roster. And then in terms of his routes getting minutes after that, it's going to be all conducive to you know how he performed in practice and training camp and you know how much preparation he took this offseason because you know if if he is as good as he is this year uh next year then he's gonna see his role uh not be all too dissimilar to what it was so that'll be an interesting uh thing to iron out as we go forward um i do i do think that there's a uh an alternative world where he is a maverick um, but I would definitely say that there is a 
uh, a, definitely a higher percentage that there is an alternative world where he is not a Maverick, if I had to uh, guess, just given the sort of overhaul that this team seems to be prepping to do on, on all sorts of levels. I don't know, um, you know, how much sustainability I, I give to any of those free agents that are going to be, you know, surefire, unrestricted free agents, even, you know, the, the beautiful Dwight Powell's of the world. So we'll have to see what happens in that department, but, you know, Jaron, I know you took pride in the fact that you did Frank's um, special stat. So if you wanted to go ahead and relay over that to all of our listeners before we move on to JaVale, Pierre, McGee, then, uh, you know, I think you would be more than inclined to do so. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, I took a, you know, I took a really serious approach uh, whenever I got, you know, whenever I got this assignment thrown my way, um, you know, through Frank Nilakina's career, uh, he averaged, or I don't know about average, but this season he had a 12.5% usage rate and that would land him at a career worst in terms of usage rate, uh, which I think only speaks to, you know, what kind of season he's had. So I, I think that's probably the best sort of stat that you could pull uh, for the French Prince um, Bel Air sort of scene and, um, you know, what kind of season he had. Yeah, I know. That's interesting because, you know, almost they looked like, you know, he had the ball in his hands more, but he played so little that, you know, you know, take these are hard to do with some of the sample size, um, you know, with a guy like Frank, you, you know, it's just kind of hard to pinpoint with a guy who plays that little of games and stuff like that, uh, just due to, you know, DNPCDs and the injuries he was dealing with. But, you know, I, I think that that's about as good of a dig as you could have found. So I, I commend you for finding that stat. It definitely is emblematic of um, that steep decline he just sort of took in terms of like when he was in the game. Um, in those, you know, beginning months of the season, he was just relegated to being in the corner until we finally saw him open up a little of his game towards the end of the year. So that, that's a, that's a good dig for sure. If we want to start on JaVale McGee, Jaron, you know, this was obviously the guy that the Mavericks signed with the taxpayer mid-level exception last year, or they consolidated most of it to him. And then the, uh, about one sixth of it or so to Jaden Hardy, um, JaVale was signed to a three-year contract after a, a pretty good season as the backup center for the Phoenix Suns beyond uh, behind DeAndre Ayton. We saw him have some uh, decent performances in that playoff series versus the Mavericks, of course, last year that, you know, we've obviously touted as um, the only good thing to happen in this franchise in the last like 36 months. So, um, you know, we have, we have that and JaVale comes in, you know, he's, he's 34, 35, but just given how sustainable his athleticism has been these last few years, I think most you know, people question the signing, uh, especially the uh, the dollar amount and, and the years. Uh, but I do think that there was this sort of sense of optimism that the Mavericks at least got a pseudo rim protector to be able to help them uh, through a solid 15 to 20 minutes throughout the game. Uh, JaVale just proved too inconsistent in that manner, uh, both offensively and defensively. We saw a lot of flashes. Uh, we didn't see a lot of any, you know, rim protection or, a uh, dynamic role threat on a consistent basis. And, you know, we, we knew that he wasn't going to be coming in and doing this for long stretches of the game, but I think a lot of Mavericks fans thought that he would at least still have solid games, you know, every two nights or so in a, in a limited role capacity playing about 15, 20 minutes a game. Uh, the Mavericks, that was, you know, basically their primary signing over the offseason. That didn't come into fruition. We, we saw pretty quickly that JaVale, um, you know, he, he did decent more, more so towards the end of the season, but, you know, early on in the season, we saw some um, early season woes that uh, were just sort of irrefutable in terms of, um, you know, us wanting, you know, or 
Jason Kidd or the fan base for that matter. Um, you just they were ir- irrefutable from the perspective that you didn't even want to see him on the court. So what, what do you attribute to that? And what do you think were some of his biggest strengths and weaknesses this year? Yeah, so real quick before I answer that, I'll just name off his sort of counting stats. Um, in 42 games played, he averaged eight and a half minutes per game, four and a half points per game, um, 64, 64% from the field. And some of his more notable stats were two assists and 0.6 blocks, which lay, which would land him um, a career worst since the 2014-15 season, where he only played six games for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um you know, I, I think what kind of led to his sort of shortcomings uh, was just, you know, I don't know if he came into the season out of shape uh, or just, you know, expecting too much, uh, you know, just kind of <clears throat> got caught up in the fact that he would become a starting center. Uh, because, again, if you remember, if you put yourself back, you know, this time, or not this time a year ago, but, you know, just about 10 months ago, um, he the reason why he came to Dallas is because he was promised a starting role. And that's kind of why he signed here instead of Milwaukee. Um, and very quickly, I think, you know, five, 10 games in, you know, we realized that that was not going to be the case and his starting role and really his role in the season, uh, was pretty much just redacted from that point on, you know, we we barely saw him, uh, from the beginning of the season, pretty much until like game 40, I I think is where he got like a short little stint. And then after that, um, we kind of saw him a little bit more here and there, but I I think, you know, for me, it was, you know, again, I don't know if he came into camp out of shape. Um, you know, just expecting too much and, you know, kind of lost his role, but he was just a really bad basketball player. I think that's kind of the best way to put it. You know, what we expected out of JaVale from a floor base level, I, I think was nothing that we thought we would get. Uh, we thought, you know, at worst, you know, he's going to guy that he was going to be a guy that could plug you in for a solid 10 to 15 minutes a game and give you, you know, the, at least a decent amount of rim protecting and at rim rolling, but that we saw none of that. Um, you know, the rim rolling side of things, he was just very spotty, uh, I think is probably the best way to put it. You know, that was at least his one positive throughout the year on offense. And then defensively, uh, just being caught out of place, I, I you know, through, uh, you know, the defense side of things, I, I don't think that he was very uh, high IQ minded whenever it came to the Mavericks side of defense. I think, you know, he was just caught out of place, uh, didn't really know who he was on the floor at all times, you know, was constantly allowing guys easy buckets. Or just, you know, whenever he was switched one-on-one, you know, one guy who can remind or one guy who I can think of that pretty much just exploited every single uh, mismatch that he got was Jose Alvarado early on in that Pelicans matchup. Um, He put up a quick 15 on JaVale. And yeah, I mean, I I think that pretty much just set the pretty much set the tide for what the season would become uh, for JaVale McGee. So I think that, you know, just from a a basketball player standpoint, you know, he just wasn't that and his age definitely showed you know we saw him pretty much just become a a a good you know backup center in phoenix and then in dallas he was promised that starting role and it became nothing uh that we thought that we thought he would be yeah no 100 percent, and uh you know just really late to react on a lot of those defensive possessions um when he was tasked you know to be a rim protector or he was you know switched on to a smaller player and you know from an offensive perspective um he just you know, he had, he had some sort of errant hands. He, he made some uh, just weird mistakes uh, when he he had a guy sealed or, you know, he, you know, had the opportunity to, um, you know, go up for an easy dunk. He, he would pass out of it at times. And then sometimes um, he, he would take some questionable uh, 
you know, shots and, you know, when you would get a post up um, and maybe not the, the best of position. So it, it was just a sort of clunky fit uh, from both sides. And, and, you know, what do you attribute to the whole, what, you know, JaVale being promised a starting role? How do you think that come into, how do you think that came into fruition? Who do you think uh, was the, uh, the catalyst in terms of uh, leading that, um, that sort of agenda? Yeah, I think, you know, you have to look at, you know, pretty much who's in the room uh, whenever he signed that contract. Uh, you know, definitely Jason Kidd. I think he played a part in that being that, you know, he he was a, an assistant coach in Los Angeles where, again, you know, JaVale won a championship uh, and had a pretty big role, um, you know, at least in the regular season. I, I think, you know, throughout the playoffs, his role sort of diminished. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think being that, you know, he was a familiar guy with Jason Kidd's game and with what, you know, he wanted to see on the floor, I think that pretty much gave him, you know, a sensibility that uh, of like comfortability. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, I think that's pretty much why he was promised a starting role. You know, there wasn't another guy on this roster who could do the things that he could have done, uh, which was becoming that, you know, rim rolling, you know, sort of rim protecting big. Uh, we just simply didn't have that. You know, we had the rim rolling part, but we never had the rim protecting part. So I think, you know, from that perspective, defensively, um, you know, that played a big part in it. And especially in the playoffs, you know, the, the Mavericks were so deprived of that sort of rim protecting big that, you know, we wanted to aid that problem now. And that's why signing JaVale McGee was probably the quote unquote best thing to do at the time. Uh, and, you know, that came back and pretty much just shot us right in the face. But I, I think that was probably a mixture of it. And, you know, again, I don't know if he came into camp or into the season out of shape. Uh, or just unconfident. I don't really know what it was. Uh, I, I do think it was a mental state, a mental thing, or at least like a physical thing being, you know, out of shape, whatever it was, but uh, there's just too many sort of, you know, non-basketball player factors. I think that go into this, that's kind of hard to answer that question. What do you think happened with this whole, you know, I wouldn't call it a revitalization, but he had this weird sort of mid-season turnaround where he was still being granted those very limited opportunities, but, you know, on nights where, Maxi need a rest night after, you know, you had to start rehabilitating, rehabilitating that hamstring more upon his return. Um, and, you know, just nights where the Mavericks big man rotation was a little thinner. We saw JaVale get some run and he honestly performed, you know, fairly well in some of these games. And, you know, we, we know that he apparently had some sort of mental shift after the, the Kyrie trade was like a little more, you know, hyped about the team or whatever. He's always, you know, leading a pregame hype circle right outside um, the tunnel and stuff like that. What do you do you think anything changed and do you think the Mavericks should have tried to play him more once he started to, uh, you know, get that on court on court fit a little bit. We know earlier in the season, just uh, due to some of his interviews that, you know, he attributed some of the the clunky defensive uh, and, and lackluster defensive play from him uh, due to the Mavericks switching more in their system, uh, contrary to what he had previously done. Um, but, you know. Golden State, I would argue, switches quite a bit. And, you know, he's played over there. Uh, I can't speak too much for the, you know, the Lakers, I guess, and the Suns maybe didn't switch as much. But, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird sort of argument. But he he attributed that to some of his his lackluster defensive issue, uh, possessions and, uh, you know, just some of the slow reactivity. Do you think that, you know, he ever got to a point in the regular season, you know, when he, when he got a few cracks at the apple? Um, that he, he he played well enough to actually warrant a, another shot in the rotation or do you think it was just late or too late in the season and it, it, it was negligible in terms of the impact it would actually have on winning at best 
Yeah, I think, you know, definitely what turned it around for him, you know, mentally and physically in this, you know, throughout the season was probably the Kyrie trade. Um, you know, I do, you, you can notice, you know, a sort of uh, not, not a sense of like being sorry, but like him actually wanting to produce something on the floor. So I, I think that's probably the biggest switch in his head uh, that happened throughout the season. I do, you know, me personally, I, I think that there's arguments to be made here, but uh, me personally, I do think that there was a role uh, on this team later in the season. And we saw him sort of, you know, revitalize, get some more minutes here and there. Um, but even still, I, I don't think, you know, it was enough to warrant a starting role or a backup center role, you know, ahead of Maxi. But I, I still do think that, you know, you could have warranted him probably like 15 minutes a game, given him a little bit of bigger, a little bit of a bigger role. Uh, where he's playing alongside Luca and Kyrie. And I don't think that we saw that at really any point throughout the end of the season. So I think if, you know, there's one thing that we could have saw done different throughout, at least the end of the season was probably play him more with Kyrie, more with Luca. Um, because I do think, you know, his most productive minutes were along with those guys. Um, but yeah, you know, just from a, 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 you know, like mentally what switched, I, I do think it was that Kyrie trade. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see his fit next to Christian Wood a little bit more too, because even earlier in the season, they never that was never something that was particularly showcased. It was always one one big on, one big off. And then they played that lineup a few times toward the end of the season. And it honestly like wasn't too bad just from a sheer size perspective. You know, even if um, you know, they were kind of uh some, you know, Dumbledores on uh on the Mavericks, you know, in terms of their defensive rebounding. We saw this team late in the year just routinely just not even get you know I excuse my language but not even give like a rat's ass to try and go get the rebound uh but then you know I, I think just that sheer amount of size between you know maybe Christian Wood and JaVale at the same time would have helped them a little bit more and you know JaVale just being a little bit more reactive who knows uh but I, I think we can both agree that you know just due to the early season struggles and even late in the season we still saw the inconsistencies arise every once in a while uh, that the Mavericks did not get what they they signed up for, and uh, JaVale's impact on winning probably wouldn't have, um, you know, forwarded the team into, you know, any higher position than where they're at. Maybe they win another game or two or something. So who knows what actually happens, but I, I'm sure it could have it could have uh, mended the situation a little bit. Um, but, you know, now that we've kind of gone over, the, you know, the strengths and weaknesses from JaVale, uh, this past year and, and talked about just kind of his standing on the team and everything that led um, to his signing and that whole weird promise of the starting role. Uh, what do you think his biggest improvement was from his, uh, his previous year in Phoenix? This is going to be a dig for you, Jaron, but you know, we got to follow the format on these season in review. So what, what do you think it is? If you had to guess. Um, we'll go with leadership. Um, yeah, he was tasked to be a little bit of a veteran leader on this team. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with leadership. You know, I, I do. I did notice that, you know, he did take accountability and, you know, coaching up Jaden Hardy or at least being alongside him on the bench and, you know, giving him a heads up or a talking to whatever it was. Uh, and again, you know, he led the halftime huddle or the halftime hype huddle, whatever you want to call it or not halftime, um, just like locker room huddle, whatever it is. Um, he was the guy to be the, in the middle of that. And he was the guy to sort of, you know, get this team excited for um, a total of 38 wins um, or 36. I forget how many they lost, but, or won. Um, but yeah, you know, he was the guy to, to be tasked in doing that. So I think, you know, out of all of the negatives that uh, JaVale McGee has had this season, I would say that's definitely one of the more positives. 
again, I don't know what he was tasked with, you know, from a leadership perspective or what he did from a leadership perspective in LA uh, or in Phoenix. But, you know, from what I saw in Dallas, you know, through all the negatives that were going on, uh, you know, I think that's one thing that he at least took pride in and uh, took accountability in. And that's, you know, again, uh, I, I do have to give him props for that. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, if I'm just going to BS an, an on-court thing that he did better, um, I would just say his finishing out of out of the uh, the high post uh, when JaVale would do his little shimmy and every once in a while he'd just throw one of those hook shots up there. You know, I'm just going to guess that maybe a few of those went in more. And, uh, a few of those went in a little bit more in Dallas than they did in Phoenix. Is it, late in the season, like, he actually had a little bit of touch when it came to that shot. Um Every time you got like the boat, the, the ball at the mid post, and he was going to do like a turnaround hook shot, uh, I'd be remiss to say that I didn't have some sort of out outlying confidence that he was just going to somehow, uh, you know, it was going to hit the rim about eight times and then drop in. So that, that's kind of how those those tended to go. So that's what I would probably uh, say if I just had to pick something. But you know, it's hard in that department. Um, you know, I, I don't think Javale necessarily uh lost a ton of his athleticism like you said I just think a lot of it was just very IQ related um and very um just like reactivity based you know just not you know being in the right presence of mind uh and knowing where he was on the court um so what do you think um the biggest is the biggest improvement that he could make going into year whatever um I'm pretty sure his uh, age 36 year in the NBA yeah I think he's around there um, I, I think, you know, again, this is hard to make these for these sort of veteran older players. Uh, but for me, I think the biggest sort of um, improvement he can make is just being more efficient, more uh, responsive on the defensive side of things, maybe understanding assignments more um, or just, you know, being more responsive on the sort of like weak side blocking. Because, you know, we didn't really get to see him one on one too much uh, up until like later in the season um, where he was matched up on like the sort of bigger centers. Um, again, you know, it's like the fifth time I mentioned like Embiid in this podcast, but, you know, we never really got to see him get matched up against the Embiid's or Jokic's um, of the world throughout the season. So I think if you could, if we could see a little bit more consistency, you know, finding a role on defense, uh, knowing where he is, plugging and playing um, and the things that we know he can do, uh, I think that's probably the best thing that would, you know, be for him. Because athletically, <clears throat> you know, I, I do know that, you know, there was a very little, if anything, of a drop off athletically. Um, but I, I do think, you know, it is getting to the time in his career where we're going to start to notice those things. So I think if you could figure out from a mental perspective, or at least being in the right place at the right time, um, you know, defensively, I think if he could figure that out more so than anything, I think that'd probably benefit him the most. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you from that perspective. Um, you know, despite the contract figure not being idealistic and him probably, needing to be on a, a minimum and, you know, coming off the bench, I think that that's irrefutable after this season. Um, you know, if he were to improve on those things, he could still be um, a capable backup center. And I mean, it goes without saying, even just, you know, who knows how many years he has left just given his age and uh, the, the potential waning athleticism, but I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, Jaron, you were tasked as well with coming up with a, a stat for JaVale McGee. What did you end up coming up with for his, his special stat on the season? Yeah, so with a baseline of 10 games played because Tyler Dorsey and Chris Silva, if we remember his time in Dallas, rest in peace, um, not actually rest in peace, but uh, with a minimum of 10 games played, DeVale McGee came in second on the team in shooting efficiency, only behind Dwight Powell. He shot an efficient 65% from the field. 
Um, now, given, you know, Luca, Kyrie, they shot a much higher volume. Josh Green, all these guys, they shot a much higher volume, and thus their numbers were just naturally going to drop. Uh, but, you know, in what he did um, and what Dwight Powell did, he landed second with 65%. Yeah, and I mean, it goes without saying that I feel like all those attempts are basically at the rim. So Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, so, um, yeah, that, that's a, you know, anytime you get the uh, – did he make a single three this year? I feel like he made one. Uh, he made one at least. Yeah. I know he made one. I, I can't remember. It was like later in the season. But, yeah, any anytime that, you know, you get these 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 rolling centers, the the cliche thing to do is uh, is just go for the the field goal percentage stat and, uh, and, and wow everybody with that. So, you know, that was like uh, – it was a, an excellent find by you, Jaron. Should we um, find a – if there was such a stat, a leadership stat? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that uh, I'll tell you as much as that uh, you know, see, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he would he would lead the category in the leadership stat, um, you know, just given the Bucks' recent uh, the woes in the twenty twenty three NBA playoffs, but uh, that's uh, that's that's more debatable for the national field of interest. We I didn't I didn't we, see him take accountability. I didn't see him take accountability. We, we appeal to a niche audience, only the the mainstream mass listeners. We don't. We don't even watch the rest of the NBA, Jaron. Do you, do you know who Jimmy Butler is? I don't know who Jimmy Butler is. I don't even know where Miami is. So, <laughs> yeah, I, last I heard, it's in Virginia. So, it might be a fun summer trip if you're down. Well, real quick, you know, with the second round of the 2023 NBA playoffs approaching, who do you have? Do you have the the Utah uh, Nuggets or the um, the Texas Suns? Who do you got winning that series? Um. Well, you know, I, I'd be remiss to say that I, I don't want to rock with the the hometown sons, you know. I'm, I'm a big uh, Waxahachie, Texas guy, and, uh, you know, just to have a team in, in Waxahachie has been uh, truly a dream come true. So I might have to rock with the sons, but, you know, it, it's all going to be dependent on, you know, if Josh Okogie can, uh, you know, take that next step in his game and, you know, go from averaging five made threes a game to, to eight. So, oh, uh, Josh. Yeah. It, it's going to be up to that but uh nonetheless uh in all seriousness uh my finals pick uh to win the championship this year is the celtics jaron you want to give uh, yours on this podcast i'm gonna take philly, I'm gonna take, philly. You're so. gonna take philly wow okay two eastern conference powerhouses they're playing you can see me and jaron's uh sort of butting heads clash of clans come into fruition um in this next round uh but nonetheless jaron Lastly, for JaVale, as we, we apologize to the listeners for that little uh, satirical tangent that we just went off on, but um, what would you say is JaVale McGee's sustainability rating in Dallas going forward, you know, given that he is, uh, he does have, I believe, two, two more years on this contract remaining with that third year being a player option. There are some different things the Mavericks could do if they really want to get rid of him. They can obviously include him in trade. Uh, they can always uh, use that stretch wave provision. Uh, to be able to, you know, elongate that contract. The new CBA kicks in, uh, I believe, you know, obviously in this coming season. So I don't understand uh, fully yet the ramifications of what that could entail uh, in regards to JaVale McGee's, um, you know, contract and stuff like that in the team. Uh, but maybe there's there's some provisions there that might, uh, you know, change that dynamic up. But what would you say? is his sustainability rating on the Mavericks um, going forward. Yeah, I, I think we're going to go with a uh, – this might be a little too high, honestly. We'll go with a 5.5. Um, 
because again, his contract, you know, is a few more years. Uh, it's but sort of I a weird contract to include in yeah, trade it, as well. It is a weird, yeah, it's a weird contract to include in trade. You know, it's not much of a, cal- a salary filler. Um, you know, it's definitely more of a, a sweetener, if you will. Um, yeah, <laughs> not saying a lot, it's, but... it's not a minimum deal to where, you know, the value is, you know, truly conducive to the player, but it's also at a fairly, uh, you know, smaller rate to where it's not like, you know, just an absolute, you know, albatross to take on if you, if you are getting um, something positive in return on top of him. So it, it's going to depend. I, I do think, you know, I, I'm going to go with the four. I'm a little bit more pessimistic just given uh, the whole Mavericks big men uh, dilemma and how everything unfolded this season and failed so dramatically. I think they're really making a look of shift there. Uh, but, you know, I could still see him coming back given the contract and being one of the backup centers on the Mavericks. But I will say this much, and, you know, I think we'll get into this in some future podcasts. One of JaVale McGee and one of Dwight Powell will be off this team next year. I can, I feel like I could say I, that with full confidence. I, yeah, I confidently will say that. I actually agree with that. I don't know. I mean, I just kind of came to that revelation, but I just thought of that in my head. I was like, there's no way both of them return. So I, I feel like I could, but, and if they do, then that would be very Mavericks and I will eat my words entirely. And I will, uh, I will go to Mr. Cuban and, you know, we'll have some fruitful discussions as to the, uh, the operation of this team. I'm just joking. Um, we'll bring him on the podcast and we'll talk. We love you, him. Mark. We love you. We would like to have Mark Cuban on the mainstream house podcast, but uh, that's going to wrap it up today. Season review for JaVale. Um, and, uh, and in, uh, in, in will fashion, I'm forgetting the other two players we did today. Frank Nilekin and Dwight Powell. We just did the season review for them. Of course, we hope you guys appreciated the podcast. Um, it was definitely, um, it's definitely been enlightening as we finally get through. Um, we finally got through at least half of these uh, season reviews and doing this sort of back half of the roster um, has been enlightening. I think from two perspectives, one uh, probably how much like I unhealthily consume the Mavericks. <laughs> um, uh, and then two um, probably just how, how bad the Mavericks are. I've uh, been um my, my, my sort of revelations to come from this, uh, just seeing as there's like not even any fringe rotation players, it almost it seems, there's just a bunch of what ifs and whoever's, you know, that like it, it's like all these potential things and then all these just absolutely abysmal um, guys who were either just plagued with injuries all year or, you know, who just simply didn't perform up to standard. But I, you know, I'll say one thing about this roster I don't think there was anybody on this roster that was as bad as the the worst player on that on last year's roster and i would probably say it's sterling brown like nobody unimpressed me so much that i'd say that they were sterling brown level so at least this roster they, they had a certain pedigree at least you know despite a bad season that they had to uphold because i mean 2021 22 sterling brown that was a that was something else uh, that, that was something yeah else. yeah even though we weren't uh, in our as covering the team as heavily but without further ado we will catch you guys in the next one we appreciate you guys for listening so far we will be back um, probably either tomorrow or tonight, just kind of pending on how things go um, to keep hashing out these season reviews. You know, w- we may not technically be doing uh, one season review per day, but, you know, with us doing like three at a time, uh, we're kind of, uh, we're still kind of <laughs> adhering to our promise. So we're not veering too far off track for you guys. We're, we're still churning these out um, at the, at the, at the quota and at the threshold that we'd like, even though we did, we did a, have a little bit of a gap period there for some some school reasons but we're we're uh we're still getting them all on track we're not gonna we're not gonna shortchange you guys in that from that perspective so 
we will catch you guys in the next one. Make sure to um, follow us on Twitter at mainstream Mav or oh my gosh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. Make sure to uh, follow us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. We are on almost every podcast uh, platform. You know, whether you're on Google Podcasts or Amazon Music, you can listen to us anywhere you'd like to consume. Just give us a uh, a five-star rating or uh, a good review, if you so please. We would really appreciate the feedback. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. Comment, who is Drew Holiday's daddy? And um, <laughs> um, and uh, barring that, we appreciate you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys in the next one. Mainstream Mavs signing out. Bye-bye.